Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. This week's guest is Annika Niles. She doesn't really need an introduction because there's not much to say that hasn't already been said, but she's a German drummer who really took the drumming world by storm in 2013 and has solidified time and time again why she's one of the best drummers in the world. How many times can I say drummers? Um, I'm continuously blown away that I have the opportunity to talk to people I admire every week, and I can honestly say that drummers are the best group of people in the world. So, love my job. Please enjoy the top five influences that shape the playing style of Annika Nilis. So this is this is a tough one, but how would you describe your playing? Whoa, yeah, that's a tough one. Damn it. Um, <laughs> yeah, my I would say my playing is kind of energetic. So I love to put energy in, and I love to get the energy back from the instrument. So I love this forth and backward thing between me and the drums, um, and it's kind of full of dynamics. That's really important to me. So I know it is like, it it it's yeah. Everything I play, the feels, the grooves, everything has a lot of dynamic in it and um, is moving. I would say it's moving. It's not um, a, a, a stiff sound or a stiff playing. It is more like um, alive and and moving. It's super hard to say this about the <laughs> I know, playing. I know. You know? It's crazy. I mean, yeah. Um, this is uh, this is the thing, like energetic dynamics. Um, others would say it's complex. To me, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the others in that. You, are, yeah, I would say it's complex. <laughs> yeah, because I I just have like this basic idea. It, the idea where uh, where the more complex stuff is coming from is super basic. It's like really everyone would understand it when I when I would explaining it, I can explain most of my grooves in, in a simple version. And I just add stuff to it. And this is what it makes, of course, uh, makes it a bit co more complex. But this is like, everyone has the same tools and everyone is playing differently with them or around them or, you know, yeah. with them, against them, <laughs> whatever. So <laughs> Working yeah. against them is usually how it works with me. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, speaking of complex, I know you said in the past that one of your first introductions into Odd Time Signature is when you're jamming with a bass player and he asked you to play in 516, <laughs> which, I mean, I'd be like, dude, I thought we were just going to play Give It Away now, but uh, fine, we can do that. Uh, so <laughs> what were your thoughts on Odd Time Signature before that? There did not exist to me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before, before I started exploring this five stuff like the quintuplets so this is the first step i how i got into odd meters totally weird because i get i guess usually other drummers they they start with a three four a six eight okay i did that too but uh five eight seven eight all that stuff so i didn't do that so i just got into these odd meters 
really through that jam with the bass player and um and then afterwards i i had a lesson with chris coleman in in la and he got me into this other usual regular <laughs> odd meters and i was not able to to play them really like like cool and smooth i was just like fighting to to hold the time and stuff and um and that really brought me into m more into this kind of odd meter world um so yeah but before it was most of it was straight four four I just came from I, I mean I came from rock music and pop music. I didn't explore um like jazz stuff before. Mm -hmm. So this is how I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I grew up on InSync, so it, there's not a lot oh, of yeah. odd, odd times in a journal. <laughs> That's in also nice. <laughs> but I mean, you still make odd time very musical. How do you in real time make sure that you're when you are introducing odd times that it still maintains the musical element because a lot of people before they get into odd time the reason why they don't get into odd time is kind of like well i i i lose the i lose the musicality of it you know it just gets too technical so how do you consciously maintain that while doing all the crazy things that you do crazy slash not crazy according <laughs> to you <laughs> i mean i i like i said i have a basic idea of of a groove so um you know like a five eight is uh, something where which you have five strokes and you can have like three kicks and two snares in it, for example. So and this is how how I would start with a groove, playing mm -hmm. three kicks and two snares, and then I move them around to get different grooves out of that. And it's super simple. Everyone can count till three and two, you know. And then this is the first step usually and and then you get already like a lot of options how to play the five five eight when you do that or the five four just a bigger frame and um yeah and and from there you get to, you develop your ears to it and your feel and and that that also brought me to this more um like um yeah i get creative when i do that Mm -hmm. I get a lot of ideas when I practice and explore if it's groove stuff or orchestration, sound, whatever. When I start to explore, I get super creative. I don't know. It's so many ideas at the same time that I usually have to write them down or record everything and, and that I'm not forgetting the half of it. Um, so, yeah. And, and when I practice a lot, I let a, a lot of the crazy stuff out already. To mm -hmm. to you know also I overplay a lot I fail a lot and all that stuff it's what you what you do when you practice you know of course, you yeah. just move around everything <laughs> and then um, you uh, at least I try to figure out what sounds good in the end and what doesn't sound good what feels good but sounds shit and the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, that's often the case that you think, wow, yeah, that sounds great because it feels good. And then you listen to it and it's just super complex and nothing to enjoy <laughs> at yeah. all. And this is usually how I'm doing it. So I record a lot and I have always kind of music or loops with me when I practice. So that helps to get this more musical sense for something. Definitely. And then I just sort out what I like and what I don't like. Do you like improvising with people or are you more of a let me figure some stuff out 
so I can quote unquote fail on my own and you know just around me, and then I'll bring everyone some ideas that I'm kind of formulated. Or do you like real time figuring it out with other people? It totally depends on the situation because uh, when if it's a live concert and we rehearse, then I love to have the freedom to yeah to play a little bit stuff a little bit different or even we have the, uh, the, the the chance to improvise here and there and throwing ideas out um, so I love to to have this conversation with musicians I love that and live on stage um, when you jam or even if you have like specific songs to play I love to have this space and this freedom in between the songs uh, in, in in the songs to to jam and improvise um, but for recording sessions for example I love to be prepared mm. just to make sure that I I have something on hand and have several ideas to to put on the table um, for my own stuff I usually I don't prepare too much. I love to improvise a lot. <laughs> yeah. Because I know all the songs, you know, like super intense. Um, yeah, so, but usually it's, um, I love to have the freedom to improvise and, and have these conversations live on stage. So, yeah. You said in the past, and this, this is something that I've talked about a lot on the podcast, it's very polarizing, which is, which is technique. And uh, I do want to talk about your time with, with, with Klaus, but you've said, I think it was on the Drumeo podcast, and I'm quoting you, technique is just a thing to reach a goal. And, yeah. and so since everyone has different goals, there's really, and this is my opinion at this point, there's no objective, perfect technique, because sometimes if you play something with a perfect technique that doesn't produce the sound that you want, and so at that point, it's not the good technique for that. Yeah. Um, so what, yeah, what are your, your views on, obviously Klaus is known as the, one of the technique masters. How do you, how do you navigate all that? I mean, for Klaus, I know it is kind of the same thing that the technique is, uh, something which helps you to reach a goal, but the goal has to be defined for yourself, of course, and for the music or for the song or for the solo you play or the the style you play so uh, he's also moving around between different techniques to um to reach his goal for his music um so it's the same for me and um and you are absolutely right so it, it has to be like the goal has to be defined and the goal can be different for yourself from from track to track or from music style to music style or from from bpm to bpm or from sound to the a complete other sound you know um absolutely and and sometimes you play something and you realize okay i cannot um produce this groove in this beat or i cannot produce this sound for this piece of music and then you have to recheck of course why and it really often comes back to technique so and this is how i um develop my technique i always had something where, where i realized okay i cannot i cannot play this kind of stuff and this is frustrating so um i can of course force myself to go faster or to uh to to to, to do it with more energy or whatever but it doesn't have this effect which I want to have uh, when I have a better technique 
because I can play more relaxed or I can play yeah with even with more precision or power but don't hurt myself on some point get issues and stuff you know so um yeah so it is totally different than everyone and has to be defined what the goal is mm -hmm. how how old were you when you first met klaus or first s studied with him um i guess i was around 19 so he definitely was the first um, teacher I, I went to who brought me into technique. I have I had a super bad technique until I was I I don't know 22 or something. So it took a couple of years of course uh, to study with him to develop on my technique. But he was the first uh, guy who ever like introduced me to something like technique. <laughs> Um, what yeah, is so this? What is this? And and what do I do actually? <laughs> so yeah, um, but I had one-to-one -one lessons, yeah, uh, but not on a regular, regular base, like not weekly or monthly. It was more like per schedule. So when he had the time and I had the time, so we scheduled some lessons here and there. So I, but we did that for ten years. So you you were still going to Klaus when you were kind of not doing music full-time you were still like developing because i mean if someone that doesn't want to do music full-time yet because i know you kind of started a little bit people say later in life you were still very young we're both still very young but you were taking lessons and going off technique when it wasn't necessarily your first priority yes um i mean y yes and no because i already knew that i want to do like music for uh for my life like for a living um but I was also still in the struggle to make the switch over. So that took me a couple of years, but I was like, I, I knew also that I need to, to be a better drummer to make that switch happen. And so, yeah, I started um, practicing more and also work on my technique and stuff with him. Yeah. All right, so let's get into this. It's the Big Fat Five. And I gave you, I need to stop sending people six prompts because you answered all of them because uh, you're on top of things, which is great. And, <laughs> but, but two of the prompts, you answered the same, the same mm -hmm. thing on two of them. So maybe it'll still be the big fat five. We'll, we'll push those together. But we'll just go to the first one. And uh, it's uh, your favorite Phil choice moment from a certain record. This isn't, isn't necessarily in the order that you gave them to me, so I hope they weren't in order. But it's uh, Mashunga from Toto's The Seventh One album from 1988. It's, of course, Jeff Picaro on drums. And did you want to maybe listen to a few, maybe like 30 seconds of it, and then we can discuss yeah. it afterwards? Sure. All right, so here is Mashunga. I could fall asleep to his drumming. It's just like so... Everything is perfect. It's like anxiety medication. Just listen to Jeff. It'll calm you down. Oh, yeah. Ghostbumps. So I, I totally love this song. Like I said, first seconds and I get Ghostbumps. It's just like this overall feeling, the groove, the flow, the dynamics, you know, mm. I, I love how he's playing. 
I mean, all all the songs actually have this specific Jeff dynamic flow feel. Um, but on this song, I I love it the most because you hear all this you hear all these details because it's not a super rock song or whatever. It's like a more a ballad kind of, um, and yeah, he 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 gets me all the time when I listen to this song. So. Yeah. He still, even though it's not a ballad, he still has that 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 Jeff Beccaro smack on the snare. Yeah, that it's, it's like it's not really a ballad, but it's it's yeah, absolutely. He has still this power and energy in it. Yeah, yeah, and he uh, there's this. I'm sure everyone that's listening to this, if you know Jeff, is you've you've seen his instructional video where. <laughs> A, a clip from that he breaks down the Rosanna shuffle but in that same long clip he breaks down a version of this beat I think for copyright reasons he also can't play that song on the instructional video um, and that that makes me want to ask you when you work on those grooves do you think of them in like rudiments or do you think of it just in groupings and then after the fact you like oh I guess I was playing a, a right left right right kick kick without thinking about it I mean, how does your brain work when it comes to making patterns like that? Um, actually, I, I usually, th when I think about s music, <laughs> it, when I really think while playing, then it's more like in groupings. Yeah. But I usually have melodies in ear. Mm. So, of course, you train all the stickings and stuff and move around with them and orchestrate them and let them same stuff sound different all the time through the orchestration. And that creates melodies. And if I hear something like um, a melodic phrase or like a, a song where something happens rhythmically, then I hear already this orchestration, which I want to play. And this creates this little melody at the same time so and i just try to to bring it out and usually it is something i i can play because otherwise i would not hear it um i just have to figure out how exactly i have to do it um and yeah so but it's usually something um yeah for me like it has to do with melodies i i hear melodies and i usually also think in melodies and if i don't think in melodies then i thinking groupings but you uh, definitely not in rudiments <laughs> <laughs> this is number 26 a yeah uh, <laughs> yeah have you had the happenstance where you release a video and then just all of a sudden the comment section are like what was that fill at minute 220 whatever and you're like that was something that i didn't even think of. like out of all the things you like practiced for that video you're like that's what people take away this random fill that you don't even think about and then you have to kind of explain it to people but you kind of have to figure it out yourself because you just did it you know in real time and didn't think about it does that make sense yeah absolutely i mean that happens pretty much often um <laughs> yeah. i do a lot of fields <laughs> and they usually are improvised i just know where i want to start with the fill or where i want to place a field to create a um, a build up or a specific uh, mood uh, but i usually don't think about what i exactly play in this moment so i i improvise a lot even in the in, in the video recordings there is a lot of improvisation so i i usually i'm not repeating stuff much uh, and then i get these messages of course or people um have lessons with me and then they come up with this ah uh, uh, by the way you played this fill uh, on this video or in this song um uh, it's uh, like in bar blah 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 to 
bar 100 i don't know yeah. can you break it down for me quickly uh, <laughs> quickly <laughs> is like you know i have to to study it yeah, myself my to break it down <laughs> <laughs> you're both in front of the computer like man yeah. you wish you could text yourself like what did you do on the hi-hat there <laughs> yeah so i i usually have people um who help me to or who um like do the transcription of a of a song later on because i don't want to spend the time to figure out what i played like yeah. especially with the fields the grooves are usually uh, easy going at least for me when i have to write it down so i know what i do but with the fields it is always like uh, a lot of notes when i play <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah i don't want to break that down myself yeah <laughs> I can't imagine transcribing one of your one of your videos, and not that I I don't want it to sound like you're too choppy. I mean, like you you've got groove for days. It's just uh, even just like a two two bars of anyone's fill. I'd be like, I that would just take me so long to figure that out. Yeah, in the meanwhile, it's going wild because in the meanwhile, I'm I'm I just hear stuff in each direction. I hear stuff in fives and six and seven, and when I play a fill, it also comes out like that. It comes out like. I start in 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 uh, eight like tr uh, si uh, thirty seconds, and then I go back to septuplets or whatever, like super nerdy stuff. <laughs> yeah. But um, but I don't I I don't think about it anymore. And then when when I see the transcription of that, then it's like, gosh, did I play that? <laughs> then I yeah, it's really like how like much coffee this. did I have that day? Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Hey y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was gonna be or if it was gonna be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with the drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye I do want to play a song from uh one of your projects, Neville. It's the song The Age, and it's really cool because it's one of the perfect examples of the bass starts out the song, and then when you come in, I'm like, okay, was I wrong with the downbeat? 
or was I right? And then you kind of, the chorus kind of becomes a little more straightforward 4-4, if you will. But I love it when songs totally, your meter's off when the drums come in. So I do want to play this real quick, and I think anyone listening will get that cool, um, uneasy, and the best possible way feeling, which is kind of what you were talking about, taking a simple, a, a simpler concept and just adding the, you know, displacing the backbeat a little bit to make you yeah. a little more like what's going on. Um, and it's really rad. So here it is. that's live by the way anyone listening to that's how that was <laughs> that's not some polished studio i mean you are in the studio but it's uh you guys are playing that so good yeah it's also one of my favorites from the new album what's what what's the backstory with that like how, how how'd you meet those guys um actually so the guitar player is um also my producer so we're working together since the last i guess uh, for the last 10 years so um and re he recorded from day one with the guitar so it was totally a natural to have him uh, have him in the band as well and um the bass player i met a couple of years ago and where we were hired as a um um like for a concert play with the artist um so we met there the first time and that was like uh we we f we fit together immediately so that was the that was really nice. So, um, and he told me if I ever need a bass player for my music, uh, I should call him. So I did. <laughs> he seems so jolly. <laughs> he jolly? seems like such was, a was this? yeah, like not like he seems happy. You know, he's playing, yeah, he's just yeah, smiling yeah, yeah. the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a happy person, so that's really enjoyable. <laughs> um, yeah, and Patrick, the the keyboard player, is actually from the Netherlands. So, and I just was looking for a keyboard player who was able to manage the sounds and playing with all the seven and five and blah blah so and um and i found him actually on youtube so i just reached out and he was in so <laughs> yeah that's, that's great it. yeah go check out um i'm i i have a playlist going um on spotify but go check it out i'm assuming it's all on amazon and and all that stuff so go go yeah. purchase this stuff it's 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 a uh, going to a good cause which is a musician <laughs> working uh, yeah, hard so yeah appreciate it thanks <laughs> uh, of course so uh moving on it's uh number two and it was uh, a specific groove that completely changed the way you think about drums and you had said i'm not sure if you have the list right in front of you but you said the album the distance between zero and one by nerve which is of course a friend of the podcast's uh band jojo mayer i mean the whole record was like running over and over it was st the, the time where you still were listening to full albums you know <laughs> oh yeah i remember that yeah barely. yeah <laughs> um but there were a specific song where i I would say I listened the most to it. I, I guess it's called Loot. Loot. I'm okay. super bad in, in this kind of uh, name. Nailed it. Uh, Track two. 
Yeah. Okay. Actually, no. That's track one. That's track one. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of uh, you know me being a not cultured American. I can't pronounce most of these words. <laughs> Let's just play loot real quick so people can mm-hmm. know what we're talking about, and then we can move on to um, you talking about it. I'd like to say it's a big fat snare drum on that snare, but uh, that was f- like four or five years before the company even existed, so probably not. Yeah, I mean, he's really good in 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 letting the acoustic sounds uh, sound great into in this uh, electronic direction. So that mm-hmm. was also what really like catched me on that point, like having this acoustic set and and having this this sounds all around like. Um, yeah, this kind of electronic touch, but still having acoustic kit. That's really, yeah, that catched me a lot with that record. Was this before, so 2011, um, which is, wow, 10 years ago. So you would have way, yeah, this is way past you already getting an odd time. So you were, mm. you were a veteran at this point. Yeah, I was, um, it, I wasn't in odd times at that point, but I was exploring like, um, um, sounds a lot and also like a bit of metric modulation sure so and um, that has that that had a little bit of vibes for me in it not it's not like animals as leaders metric modulation stuff you know you still can yeah. can hear everything and it's in a in a nice tempo so you can really um, recreate stuff and play along with easily it's not too too heavy to listen to and 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 figure out what happens um so but like like i said so i listened a lot a lot to this record and try to figure out sound wise what's happening and also like um playing wise what he is doing um but i never really played along with the music like in detail like um stroke by stroke i just played along with it but try mm. to figure out okay he is doing triplets here and there and okay let's stop the music and figure out what he is doing a little bit so um and this brought me into a, a little bit already in this direction of um yeah exploring subdivisions uh, i mean a natural step everyone is doing this at some point like yeah. not playing the the pulse like playing in between the pulse with the hi-hat and stuff like this it was on a complete different point where i'm searching now <laughs> yeah and you've i'm i'm assuming you've played clinics or or festivals with with jojo at this point oh uh, no oh no it it started for me it started 2014 but i'm saying uh, at this point meaning meaning um as of right now you've you've played festivals with jojo oh right yeah yes 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 
Was it, I mean, knowing how much of an impact <laughs> he had on you, how was that first time playing drums in front of him, knowing that he was watching you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can imagine, right? It was, of course, like I was nervous like hell and he was standing in the back and really was listening to it. But he is luckily one of the good guys. So he is really, really nice, um, a great person. And we had a nice chat afterwards. And um, yeah, so that is all you're looking for into your inspirations and heroes, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I... And people that have, he was on the podcast maybe a month ago, and I don't know, I didn't know what to expect, you know, because I, he's, he's, he's got that New York vibe to him, you know, mm -hmm. like I was like, oh, he might be a hard ass in a, in a cool way, because he's Jojo, he can be. But yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. We, he was the nicest guy. We had like the funnest chat. He's such a yeah. cool dude. Yeah, he is. He is. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, we can go on to number number three, and this is the one where I think it's three and four were kind of uh, molded together, mm -hmm. and it's a, a performance which you either played or witnessed that altered your, your musical course, and then also a record that hit you at the right time in your life that represents a big piece of your artistry, and it's uh, the album Uber Jam by John Schofield from 2002. Yeah. Where were you in your in, in your life when that hit you, and, and what was going on with that? Yeah, I mean, this this album really hit me at the right point and had like a huge um, mindset change on me. Like, um, because I was already like searching and, and, and figuring out, like with Jojo, I got into this in, in a, a stylistic, which I haven't listened much before. So like I said, I was like more in this rock, uh, heavy rock, um, pop music uh, direction and also a bit funk and stuff, of course. But I did not listen much to jazz. And um, and I listened also to the Joe Schofield uh, Agogo, is it called, I guess, album, which is the uh, album before. <laughs> if you're wrong, I'll just overdub you saying the right one. But I, <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah. So and that was like I, the first jazz music I really enjoyed to listen to. So a lot of people will probably hate me for saying this, but I had my struggles to listen to jazz because of the harmonies. Um, rhythmically, it catches me a lot or catched me, it catches me still a lot. But with the harmonies, it is, or let's say it has been, it is not that much the case anymore, but has been a lot of struggle for me for a long time um, because I love melodies beautiful melodies which stuck in mind and this is usually not really happening in jazz music <laughs> um uh, but Schofield has this kind of vibe and and especially this album hit me hard because it was like a super crazy mix of funk rock jazz uh, um hip-hop electronic so it was yeah. a, a huge mix of a, a lot of styles and i was playing in a um in a band where we did like kind of um electronic rock pop kind of stuff a little bit in in the direction of deep deep mode um okay. and i was like really interested in how to cooperate like electronic sounds into um, into music, not just in pop or rock. So in general, how to incorporate that. And um, and I also was a lot in Stanton Moore, 
uh, Stan Moore's drumming. And this had also kind of a touch to me, this kind of feel of Stan Moore. But it was it was Adam Ditch, Ditch, Ditch. I say Deitch, but I'm probably, yeah, I have no idea. I've always said Adam Deitch, y yeah. You're the American, so Adam Deitch, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and this mix was so, like, I so enjoyed that hardly, you know? I was really into this album. And I guess that album, um, with the view back from where I'm now, really brought me into this fusion music, where I am home now, I would say. Mm. Um, and opened my ears more for jazz and stuff. So this is why it has so much uh, uh, influence on me. Yeah. Sure. Was there a certain song from that record that you want to play? Or I mean, the the title song "Uber Jam" is okay. Amazing. <laughs> Definitely got some Prince vibes going on there too. Also, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's Damn. also like, um, like same with Nerve, and in here also it's like uh, instrumental music. That's also a thing, which got huge to me, like uh, the thing, you know, <laughs> for yeah. my own music at least. So, um, yeah, all the influence of Uber Jam. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can tell. Like, I mean. There's no way they weren't all in just the best mood making that record. You can definitely hear the happiness yeah. <laughs> in those songs. Because it's just so, you know, like when we were listening to it, there'd just be sounds and I'd just start laughing. Because it's, it's not like I'm laughing at it. It's just it's such a unique, cool sound. You just yeah. have to giggle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the sound on this record is super, like, different to what I've heard before. So that really catched me as well. So you need to listen to a couple of more tracks if you have the time. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I mean, John gets brought up, uh, the musicians he works with, he's, uh, not to relate him to John Mayer, but it's like these people that just always pick the best people to play mm. with them. 
and they're kind of like a rite of passage, uh, and John Schofield's like that. Um, so yeah, I definitely need to go down a rabbit hole of all of his records. Um, all right, so uh, the next one, which is your favorite drummer, and again, this is the hardest one. I feel bad even asking people, uh, <laughs> but your favorite drummer and how their overall body of work has affected you. And of course, you put more than one, as you should. Yeah, I mean, um, favorite is hard to choose. Um, so I, I cho chose uh, those who have the most um, influence on my playing. So, and this is definitely Chris Coleman for bringing me into the odd meter world. Jeff Porcaro for the overall sound and details and dynamics and nuances. Uh, mm -hmm. Jojo Meyer for uh, the sound stuff. Um, and Stanton Moore for the flow and the feel. Yeah. So... Um, did you so did you did you ever take a lesson with Stanton Moore? I know you said you've worked with Chris and have had mu a bunch of conversations with Jojo, but what was your what's your relationship with with Stanton? Nah, there is no um, no relationship so far. So I haven't met him yet. So I would love to. I would love to, and listen to him play live. So that that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you do you, do you like a lot of New Orleans kind of like you know? the American South kind of music? I mean, there were a time where I listened a lot to it and I just recently come back a little bit more um, because of the jazz stuff and it mm. has like a connection, of course. Um, so, but uh, yeah, in the past I listened a lot to uh, to different bands in this direction. Also all of Stanton, Stanton's uh, records, of course, and uh, other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris Coleman uh, is brought up a lot for just his sound. He's a, he's a big influence on just how punchy and yeah. hits in the center <laughs> of the tom every mm -hmm. damn time. Is his sound is just so consistent, you know? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't. You've you you you've talked at 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 length at length about Jeff, and I know how much he's. Uh, we already talked about him previous, so we don't have to kind of dissect it. But um, was 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 Toto the first introduction you had to Jeff, or was it uh, a clinic you saw and then you kind of checked out his like the bands he was in, or how did you get introduced to Jeff Picaro? I actually got introduced through Toto, and um, I guess he already died at that point where I got introduced yeah, to him. Yeah, early 90s, I want to say. Yeah, so I guess it was like just two or three years uh, after he passed. So, um, yeah, and a, a friend of my of my dad just overhand me a record of Toto and told me, here, listen to this. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it has still a lot of influence on me. So I still love listen to it and yeah. Do you remember which record it was? Oh, uh, it was the one with Rosanna on it, and the, the seventh one, and the one with Pamela on it. I'm super bad in saving album names. Pamela's a great song. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Speaking of melody, um, that's a catchy-ass tune. <laughs> but uh, all right, so the last one, and I'm happy you brought this up, because you hit so hard, and I love that. I also hit, I hit way too hard. You hit professionally hard um so it's the the foo fighters and it's yeah. the sound of a particular record that helped mold your tuning style yeah i'm i mean there is nothing left to lose is the yeah. album for me this is where i'm uh, the album i i grow up with so to speak and um 
And at that point, we were also like recording with our band, like back in the days where I uh, had my teenage days. You know, I was playing oh, also yeah. in several bands, and we had we we wrote our our own music and recorded in the studio and stuff. And um, I mean, I was not super um, uh, um, like uh, aware of what I'm doing at that point with my tuning and stuff. So I just had this sound in ear and tried to figure out, okay, this is probably working this direction and people also helped me so to get in this direction but nowadays i still listen to this record and think that's a just an awesome drum sound <laughs> you know like for rock music it is like you can hear everything in detail it's of course a little bit like old schoolish in the meanwhile but still like solid and still um a thing i I appreciate a lot, so I really love the snare sound and also the toms and stuff. Um, and of course, uh, Jeff Pocaro still also with um, with this sound on on the records, with this dynamic also and and the cymbal work. Um, mm. Yeah, it has uh, less to do with tuning; it is more the the overall sound he creates with his fingers, you know. And of course, the engineer also does his job, but what he does with his dynamic and creating this this vibe groove and sound that has a huge influence on me um i was gonna play uh the intro that just the drum intro and then maybe the first uh to the first verse of the song headwires mm -hmm. off the the album there's nothing left to lose and it's cool because the drum part almost seems like he just kind of half, you know, uh, mindlessly did it, and it's now the intro of the song. Uh, <laughs> and I think you'll get what I mean. Um, uh, Headwires by Foo Fighters, which I mean, I I would assume this is mostly Taylor Hawkins on this one, or was Dave Grohl still playing some of the songs? I, I don't know, actually. I don't know. I don't know I, I, th that was also at the time where I wasn't that really like into the drama dramas, you know, like the, the sure. drama world. I was just listening to music and play. Which is the better way to do things. Anyways, here is uh here's headwires. And then of course you can't play this record without playing this flam at the beginning of learn to fly <laughs> the flam heard around the world yeah um <laughs> well that's your top five uh thank you so much for taking the time to to do this um did you want to like every podcast do you want to give a little shout out to anything you're working on or have been working on during that pandemic that you want people to check out uh, oh, now you you hit me. Um, uh, <laughs> so you can also say no, Ben. Leave actually, me alone. actually, um, I mean, I released a couple of things in the pandemic. So if if I mentioned that, um, probably I, I released like um, with uh, Get Good Drums, I released a MIDI package uh, with oh, okay. um, like, I guess it's 15 tracks. Um, chopped up in in small bites where uh, you can just create your own music with my drum ideas on it <laughs> and build, build it together however you want it um, so yeah that's um, available on get good drums and 
I released a couple of, or oh, not a couple, I, I released uh, along with my my friends from Promark, I released Signature Stick just recently. So, oh, wow. Which is also available in the US and in the stores. So if you want to check that. How would you describe the, the stick? Like what were you using before you got your signature? I mean, I've, I've played the seven, Promark 7, um, 7A for quite a while now and um and th my stick is a little bit um thicker than the 7a um in between the 5 and the 7a um wow, okay but it has um uh, a thinner a thinner um neck is it called like how it tapers off a little bit yeah yeah here though this part Oh yeah, yeah. It, that that's a pretty drastic taper. That's yeah, that, yeah. That, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. And a small a small tip. So uh, that's the, uh, definitely the the difference to the usual or regular seven A tip. <laughs> so yeah. Does it, that make it more of a, a like balanced in the back? Um, not really. It is more uh, super balanced. The stick is super balanced. Um, it's not forward. It's not rebound. It's super balanced. And through the smaller tip, you have this. Um, you have um, these um, nuances in your playing, so you have a clear, simple sound, and uh, um, th the control of your dynamics is, is um, even easier to handle with this kind of tip. So at least it helps me. Oh, that's yeah. awesome! Congrats on that. That's a that's a big deal. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so this is probably it for now. I mean, um, I have a couple of things um, in the back, but I I cannot talk really about it yet so <laughs> nice <Yeah. laughs> that's the answer i always want to hear like I, I i can't say anything ben so let's move on all right well yeah um do you have any plans to come stateside because uh, a majority of our audience is in the united states any yeah clinics or anything in the fall uh no since the pandemic hits still through it is not an option at this point but hopefully in the future i hope that we can um recreate a, a clinic tour or something like that yeah all right well thanks for being on the show and i will talk to you soon yeah thanks for having me <laughs> of course and that's the show be sure to subscribe and if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews do that it helps more people find the show which means the show will get better and bigger and hopefully i'll have a chance to sell out one day but you'd be an og listener that could brag to all your friends um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.